Welcome to the Retzel Health Law Hotspot. Health Law Hotspot is a podcast for physicians and health professionals that covers the legal issues and trends that affect the healthcare industry. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Health Law Hotspot. I'm Erica Adler, shareholder and leader of the Healthcare Practice Group at Retzel and Andrus. And today, Christina Kuda, my favorite member of the Health Law Practice, is joining me. And we're going to talk about something really interesting today. It has to do with relationships among physicians within their corporations and their limited liability company and their partnerships and what happens when things fall apart or there's a dispute within the practice. What we want to cover today is how you can avoid that, how to potentially resolve it, and then what happens when you absolutely can't resolve it. So why don't we start off first by just going over to Christina and having Christina talk a little bit about what we do when we work with our clients to help make sure that they are setting up a good, solid relationship and proper documents. Sure. So one of the things is when you're starting a new practice or you have an existing practice and you're bringing in additional shareholders or partners, uh, a lot of people don't think about the exit. They're only thinking about the beginning and the entrance. Um, when everything is good and everyone's excited to be working together and maybe starting a new practice, a new venture. Um, but one of the important things and one of the things we always press with our clients is as much as you may not want to think about it, you have to think about the exit. So when you're documenting uh, a new practice or having someone come in as a new owner, you have shareholders agreements or operating documents, they all should talk about what happens in the event somebody needs to leave or in the event that uh, any type of voting is a tie and people are having trouble making a decision or breaking a deadlock. Things like valuating someone when they're leaving as far as what they're going to get paid when they leave, paid for their ownership or paid as a severance, whatever you decide to to do in your practice, but really think about in advance how decisions will be made, what happens if there's a dispute on how decisions are made, and what happens if somebody wants to leave or there's a circumstance where somebody really needs to leave and how that's going to be handled in advance as opposed to waiting when it happens and then you're really scrambling to try to find the best approach. Absolutely. And typically in the documents that we're drafting, we're putting in reasons that somebody can be involuntarily let go in a professional practice. That would be something like a loss of a license, um, you know, loss of DEA, kicked off the medical staff, things like that. And then there's, of course, uh, breaching the agreement or doing something, you know, um, unacceptable where they could be voted out. And then there's always a without cause approach where the practice might give notice or the doctor might give notice. And typically in our agreements, we like to distinguish between those. They may require a different amount of notice and they may actually impact how much somebody gets paid. So in the document, we also want to kind of spell out how does somebody get paid when they leave? How do they value the practice? As you mentioned, maybe it's severance, maybe it's purchase price. And I think this is really important because we've had some instances where people may sign a document, work together for many years, and then one of them announces that they're leaving and they go and they have like evaluation done and they present it to the other partner and say, hey, 
here's what you have to pay me. And then when they come to me and I'm corporate counsel, I say, well, I don't understand. You have a shareholders agreement or you have an operating agreement. It has a formula in there and that's what you need to follow. And people are sometimes surprised. But at the end of the day, this actually can resolve a lot of dispute because if you've done a good job, the answers are in the document. How do we compute it? When is it paid? How is it paid? Under what circumstances is it paid? Sometimes it may vest over time. Sometimes you don't get the full amount. If you leave under bad circumstances, we often will introduce the concept of uh, a haircut on that price, right? Some people like to use, you know, going out and getting a evaluation done as the actual formula, but that can be, you know, super expensive. We don't always recommend, you know, using that approach because uh, a formula built into the contract, your accountant can work it out. Now, again, who does the formula for you? Sometimes people like to really say, you know, the usual customary accountant or something. I've actually had people get into fights over who's going to run the formula. If you have a very clear written formula, it really shouldn't matter too much who's running it, you know, for you. And, you know, you're really in a bad place if you're arguing over, you know, who's running that formula for you. So I think I absolutely agree with you kind of setting out those parameters as a roadmap is so important if somebody becomes disabled or they die and then you're dealing like with their estate and not even them, we still have the answers in the agreement. And that makes everybody's lives so much easier. You don't have to spend a ton on legal fees. We just have to look at the document. Absolutely. And I think another thing too is you can have the best document with all the information you need, considering all the possibilities and what might happen in the future. But if it's not updated with really what you're doing and maybe changes that a practice has decided on over time, then it doesn't really reflect what the parties have agreed to most recently. You know, we've had situations with clients where they'll come to us with a shareholders agreement and they'll say, okay, well, so-and-so is going to leave. So what do we need to do? And we'll say, okay, this is what they get paid. This is the amount of time. This is how it's calculated. And they'll say, well, that's not what we agreed to. And we find out they've maybe has been a decision made four years ago that they're going to value a buyout differently or they're going to change the terms for how it's paid. But that actual shareholders agreement doesn't say that. And the problem you run into is, you know, when it's a happy buyout, when someone's leaving under a good circumstance, people usually can agree. But let's say the party, the, the practice has decided to change the way it does things and make it look different than what their documents say. If there is a contentious buyout, the person who is benefited by what the paper says versus what they've been doing for 10 years is going to say, well, we have to go by with the paper. And then the other person is going to say, but wait, we haven't done it this way for 10 years. The paper doesn't match what we're doing. And a lot of times paper wins. So you really want to make sure you keep things updated over time. And even just maybe once a year, once every couple of years, really look at these documents that talk about you know, future implications and make sure they still reflect what the practice wants to do and what they've been doing historically. Absolutely right. And what's even more frustrating to us as lawyers is 
where maybe they've brought on new shareholders or shareholders have left and they come and they say, we need to have Dr. Smith, you know, he's leaving, he's going to get bought out. And we have no record of a Dr. Smith ever having been a shareholder. That person was never joined to a shareholders agreement, um, you know, or where you have somebody who actually has been a shareholder, maybe even compensated as a, an owner or a shareholder uh, for all these years and they go to leave and they're expecting a buyout and there's nothing in the document saying they're entitled to anything. So people I know hate to spend money on legal fees, but sometimes you're gonna spend a lot more if a dispute arises and we can't find the answers in the documents because we didn't take the time to document, right? Yeah. So. We've worked with practices again in the past that maybe haven't wanted to maybe properly document a buy-in. It is because they didn't want to spend legal fees. And I, I understand that, but then there's a dispute with that person. They go to leave and now they're spending a lot more time and money working with us than if we had just properly done the documents at the beginning for them. So um, is there one of the circumstances where it can be a real detriment to kind of be penny wise and pound foolish? Absolutely. And I think another thing for people to realize is that when your lawyer is playing the part of corporate counsel, so they give advice to the entity and the shareholders in their role as shareholders, they don't represent any particular shareholder. And so your lawyer's hands are somewhat tied. They can explain to everyone what the document calls for, and they can answer questions about how to interpret the document, how to interpret the law, and what the person reasonably believes, you know, the intent of the parties was and the document at the time it was drafted, those kinds of things. But your lawyer for the entity should not be choosing a side or advocating. That can be somewhat hard to do, especially if one of the shareholders is acting in a particularly egregious manner. But, it, you know, the lawyer really should be saying, hey, you guys need your own separate counsel so that I can help you with the things that are, you know, the best for the corporation without getting involved with your fight. Now, again, that even becomes more expensive as then you have three lawyers involved. So we can't emphasize enough how really getting together, creating a document that tries to think about all these different uh, possibilities ahead of time will in the long run be the best for everyone um, at the end of the day. And when I know when we start corporations or, or LLCs, we usually send out like a whole list of questions and we try and get the parties to sit together and say, hey, if one of you wants to leave, how much notice do you want to give? If, if somebody leaves, what do you think the formula would be? Are there circumstances where they shouldn't get the full formula? Over how much time would the, you know, the amount be paid out? Are there times when the person should get nothing? Right. You know, so by asking these questions and having everybody collectively send us those answers before we create the document, we also have a record. Uh, this is what the parties agreed to. Now, could they, as you mentioned, agree to many other things and never tell us? For sure. But at least, you know, we have that. And that is kind of the, the role of, of the corporation lawyer is to kind of collect those opinions and, and kind of get them into an agreeable format. Yeah. And I think that's, again, highlights why it's important to try to have those questions asked up front, to discuss them up front and really put down on paper sort of what your responses are and how you want to proceed in the event that X, Y, or Z happens. Um, it often will minimize the requirement that everybody has to get their own lawyers because things are a gray area or there's a you know big fight over something because it was never decided or discussed. So having those discussions in advance, even when you're first coming together, it's like when you're first dating somebody, you don't want to talk about breaking up. When you're first coming together as a business, you don't want to talk 
talk about what happens if we have to break up, but it's super important to do that. And it will save you a lot of time and, and aggravation down the road for sure. Right. And I think, you know, finally, one of the things to really think about is what happens if the parties just can't work things out. I mean, unfortunately, your choices are limited. Either you, one person or the other has to buy out the remaining partner partners, you know, however that might work. Um, the parties can try and find somebody to buy them, but given how they're getting along, that, that seems somewhat unlikely, especially if there's like a potential litigious situation between the partners, um, or you can dissolve. And dissolution itself is, you know, not an inexpensive process. And, you know, both parties have to, you know, kind of take what they can and work things out. And, and there's definitely multiple lawyers involved, you know, when you get to that step as well. So um, we can't emphasize enough how good communication and documentation makes a big difference. Absolutely. And, and with dissolution, it's always usually a last resort, but you're right. It can be expensive. It can be time consuming, and you're still going to have things that are difficult to agree on. Who's taking what pieces of equipment, who's going to be responsible for, you know, different, um, you know, collection of AR moving forward, who might be responsible for other obligations, how, how the name of the practice, is anyone going to be able to use that name in another business? I mean, there's so many things to think about. Your insurance contracts, you no longer have them through that entity. So you have to go work with the insurers to get a new entity contracted as a provider. There's really a lot to do and think about. And if you can't decide on that, you know, nobody wants to have to go to court and make a court decide that. That's, you know, time and expense that is just something no one wants to, to get into. So the best you can do up front to have these things ironed out or have these issues addressed to minimize potential discord in the future, the, the absolute better you'll be. Right. And so just to kind of wrap things up, sometimes I think what happens is you you might have a, like two doctors or dentists or whatever come together and one of them just kind of takes the first step of getting their lawyer to put together a draft of an agreement and send it over to the other one and and the other person doesn't really understand and they end up signing it but typically you know the things that might be in there might be the ideas of one lawyer on behalf of one client and aren't necessarily written for both. And I urge anybody who finds themselves starting a new practice or just redoing their corporate documents to really take a step back and make sure that everybody is getting together and talking about these things. We just need to, you know, make sure that everything is, um, you know, spelled out clearly and that we have mutual agreement. And hopefully with this advice, everybody will be on the same page and, and, and be together for many years. But if things don't work out, um, there's a roadmap for, you know, finding your way through that separation process. Sure. And I, I think, you know, one more piece of advice I would give is uh, pick your partners well. We have seen this happen in, in practices for many years that, that we've been working in this field where people get really excited and they'll jump in a new venture with someone and maybe don't know their personality well, or maybe don't know what their work ethics like or how they practice, or they'll have a employee they, they have on staff and they decide to make them a partner, you know, very quickly after they become an employee without really knowing a lot about them. Um, you know, someone can be an excellent physician, an excellent clinician, but maybe isn't a fantastic business person or doesn't have the same kind of uh, temperament that the other shareholders might have in the practice. So you really have to think carefully and spend some time really sort of, 
you know, analyzing whether or not someone's a good fit as a partner for the practice. I think sometimes when you do that, that goes a long way to eliminating some of these potential issues down the road as well. I think those are excellent points. And there's so much to say on this topic. We just wanted to give everybody a little bit of insight on how to really think about starting relationships with new co providers, co-shareholders, co-partners, whatever you want to call them, to get off to a really strong start and to make sure that everybody's protected as you go through your relationship, which hopefully will last for many successful years. And Christina and I are both really happy to answer questions. This is something we deal with every day, and we hope this gave you just a little bit of insight into things that you might be wondering about. So thanks for joining us, Christina. And thanks to everyone for listening to the Health Law Hotspot. If you'd like to hear more of our podcast, you can go to ralaw.com. We'll see you next time. The Retzel Health Law Hotspot is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Retzel Health Law Hotspot does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Retzel Health Law Hotspot should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have.